Good afternoon and welcome to Lipstick and Lunch. I'm your co-host Donna Tarantino. Alongside me is Michelle Williams. and We'd like to discuss something that's pretty near and dear to our hearts. As consultants, as merchants, as brand incubators and brand innovators, we know the importance of a distribution strategy. So we'd like to share some of our thoughts on the three most critical pieces you need to think about as you put together your plan. What are those? Simple. Where is your product going to be sold or where is it going to be distributed? Two, how to have a meaningful, positive partnership with your retailer. And three, how to keep the lines of communication open. So join us and welcome to Lipstick and Lunch. Yeah, distribution obviously is a key thing, right? We have a product or brand, we want to get it on the shelves or online, wherever that may be. And the distribution channels now, there's many. Michelle and I feel that there's three main things that you need to think about when you're planning your distribution or putting together your distribution strategy. And let's talk about the first one, Michelle, is where you choose to be. Um, And this is probably the most important thing, but also probably one of the things that, Michelle, you and I have challenges with, with some of the brands that we've worked with, either as a merchant or on the consulting side, correct? Yes, absolutely. Where they might have reached out to me, for example, and I'm sure you experienced it as well, where they reached out to me and we started to talk about where the product, you know, is going to go for its best success and as fast fast success as possible. But then I would find out that they went and chose, oh, I mean it with all due respect, they chose a drugstore to reach out to and sell to. And today, that could be a perfectly good place to sell products to. But you really do need to know what are the implications if you went there and who will the other retailers feel is a better place for you to have gone because they may not want to be associated with the brand that went to the drugstore first. Right. And, and to your point, you need to decide, are you luxury, prestige? Uh, I want to say mass or mastige. There's a difference. You know, drugstore, the dollar store. Where do you belong? And one of the best ways, first of all, people, you know, right away think that you use the example of drugstore. A lot of people want to be in a luxury, at a luxury retailer. Well, does your price point fit that? What does your brand say about the product? What's your voice? What's your philosophy? Because you may uh, think you belong in that high-end department store. Maybe you don't. So you have to do your homework first before you present it to the retailer. Correct. Yes, exactly. And I used to, you know, advise people that were my clients. I tell you what, you really want to be in Sephora. What I want you to do before we speak next week is go visit at least three Sephoras and look at all the brands that are in Sephora that you think are in the genre of your product, being skincare or fragrance or, you know, a simple product like nail polish, anything that you were creating. Go look at how many brands are like that that are in Sephora because that's where you'd like to go. And take a look at how they're being handled. Are they in a gondola on a shelf or are they being sold in different ways in the store? Get all the information down like you are about to write an article. And then we're going to talk next week and you tell me what you discovered by doing that. 
So it's part of the homework you need to do, the research, in order to be ready to take a meeting with a buyer and know what it is you need to say. Exactly. And whether it's in store, also go online. Yes. And see things right. Right. It's very important. Yeah. Uh huh. How it's positioned online. What type of promotions are being done? Can you do the promotions? Um, And also do a competitive analysis. What is your competitor doing? Not asking. And some people, when I would say, who's your competition, really didn't know yet because they weren't selling Mm -hmm. anything yet. They may have had their website up, which is always a good safe place to try to test the waters to get your website going at least, where you can communicate to the customer who ends up finding you and buying from you. Um, but uh, your competition is an important word to a retailer. He or she uses it a, a lot to ask you to su- understand, do you realize where what product category you're going after and what brands in that category do you feel if you were in the fighting ring, you know, going up against a customer to, to te- you know, reach them, that they would be your competition because they, they do a promotion every month very well or, you know, their pricing is close to you where you want to be. Their packaging is somewhat, you know, in the same feeling when you see it on the shelf. You've got to do all those things to understand when you, you answer the question, who's your competition? And do it based on what you've looked at in the in the selling department of, or the website of the brand, the company, and the retailer you want to do want to do business with. Another big thing I think in this um, you choose to be is branding. And Michelle, you and I have gone through this many many times, and it's something that I personally love to do is branding is telling the story. Why are you so different? Who's your customer? you know, answering the what, where, why, how, basically. And I've, I've had to actually, ref- I say, refresh the brand, um, but not only refresh it, really rebrand it because the story wasn't right. Or, yeah. the, you, you know, when you, when you talk to some of the brand owners, they really didn't understand how to communicate that. So it's really right. important to have that focus and stand out in the and message is critical with any retailer because if you don't have that brand message right it'll be passed right and honestly the buyer's presentation should you get lucky enough to get a, a meeting the buyer's presentation and her assistant whoever is in the room those merchants are the, your first customers yes in the serious way uh, you've got to convince those at the table as if they were on the selling floor. Should they buy your product and why? Um, you know, who is the customer that your product should appeal to? And does that store or website have that customer in their uh, database as a, a part of who they are approaching also? Um, you know, to say that you're going to sell $120 lipstick over at Macy's is not logical because it isn't their database. It's not their base customer. She's more modest priced than that. And you can tell that from all the clothing that's sold in the store and all the other brands that they're carrying and what prices they're at. So you want to make sure that when you explain all of that, you you understand uh, by researching what the place is selling that your brand has it and why you think so. Exactly. And I think, you know, um, that goes for 
you know, a lot of those new brands, indie brands out there, if you walk into a store, you go online and you check out someone's website and you see that they don't have indie brands, chances are that's not the direction that they may be going in. You certainly can ask, but what you're going to see front and center in any retailer is what's selling because the bottom line at the end of the day is sales. So if something is selling, you're, you're probably going to see that brand have, you know, um, better space and location than those that don't have that. So keep all of that in mind. Right. The second, um, the second critical piece is um, how to be, how the vendor should be a partner to, with a retailer, you have to be partners. It's really important that you build that relationship with the retailer to move forward because you want that retailer to really be a brand incubator for you as well. Keep in mind that you are not, they're not doing all the work. It's a partnership. Um, and that's very important. Yeah, that the buyer, which both of us have had that position. So we know when we say, well, we, you know, it's a, it's a term that's used a lot and thrown around a lot to, uh, you know, we have to be partners. And I think sometimes it would confuse clients of mine. You know, what does that mean? A partner to, you know, to someone who's not been in the business sometimes thinks, well, are they asking me to contribute to being part of the company? And I said, no, your partnership is in your relationship. In the fact that, you know, like a marriage, you are going to support what this buyer and the store needs in order to make your product be something that they bring in, they spend the money on it and that they put it on a precious shelf space and that you're going to help be a partner to make sure it sells. Um, You know, years ago when it was not as difficult to do it, but you know, that Polidorf was a cosmetic brand that I brought in and we started in Bergdorf Goodman, which was highly unusual, but we started there because the buyer felt that Paula herself was an interesting person and she couldn't wait to like do things like special events and to partner with Paula to reach out to their customer and was colorful and great. And that the owner and creator of the brand was such a personality that they wanted to work with them and that that would be a partnership. You know, ultimately Paula ended up doing very good business at Bergdorf. And you develop that partnership with the team listen, be open and listen to what they're telling you because they're in the business. They see firsthand what the customers like and what they don't like, and that can help you as you move forward. Right. And I really appreciated it when someone would come to visit me and I would know if the brand was, you know, and the owner of the brand, the creator of the brand was visiting me and that they didn't know much about the business. Mm -hmm. So I always appreciated it when they were vulnerable and would just say to me, Michelle, Tell me what you feel are the most recent independent brands you brought in that you feel did a successful job. And tell me, why do you feel that they did a good job? Because what I want to do is make notes on that so I can make sure I come back with a package that I think will be as successful by practicing best practices from other things you've experienced here. Mm -hmm. Yes. So there's nothing wrong with saying that up front, you know, asking them, um, what do you feel that the you know, independent brands are doing incorrectly. How could we do a better job than that and start out with a successful step? And I also think to your point, Michelle, um, I don't want to say that, you know, the buyer is always right because we're not always right. I Mm -hmm. want to just say that, you know, be transparent, be honest with what you can and cannot do, but also understand that if you have that relationship 
with that merchandising team, don't be afraid to give them your ideas. There's so many times that, especially at QVC, um, there were a lot of firsts we did, um, thanks to our vendor partners, that we mm -hmm. would sit in a meeting and say, you know what, I, I think of um, Models Prefer with Stacey Shefflin when she first launched at QVC. Mm -hmm. She's like, I want to go on air with no makeup on and then do my face. Great. Like, so each side is actively listening because you just right. never know what kind of innovation or ideas come out of it um, mm -hmm. and how success successful that can be as you move forward. So we've touched on two important things. Um, what distribution is to going to the right location, as hopefully as soon as you start. Um, and, you know, much as I don't want to talk about it, the fact, but the fact of the matter is you also have to consider what do you have to do to get out of that arrangement if you went into it? Yes. The brand uh, Galactic came to me and they were already deeply involved in Rite Aid drugstores. And I knew that I could get this brand to a Macy's, yes. But I knew that Macy's would force the issue about, are they still in the Rite Aid drugstore? And we had to make a very tough decision with the company and the owners um, and the founder to get to say, you know, it's worth it to pull out of the Rite Aid drugstores. What do we have to do to do that? So then difficult conference calls had to be created with the buyer, of which I was on as well and said, okay, you know, this is something that's a change of strategy for the company and they need to do it in order to, in order to succeed on the big picture platform. Even on opportunities to go on shop, uh, TV shopping and, you know, other places. So quite honestly, once we got past the, the taking the brand out and getting returns of, you know, money to them and things like that, it, I mean, where you have a, a a will, you have a way. It gets done. It, at first, it all seems overwhelming, but then it got done and we got through it and the merchandise that, that we uh, agreed to leave in the store, they went to 50% off and it sold like crazy. So they weren't left with a lot of, you know, uh, venue of inventory and, you know, uh, concerned about it. So we worked it all out and then they were able to approach Macy's in a more aggressive way. And in fact, Macy's did business with them, did extremely well. And ultimately, the brand ended up not only just online, but in store. So, um, you know, those things can have to be considered in distribution. That you may have to look at what you've done so far and do you need to come out of it in order to make a right turn. You need to really figure out which retailers you want to go to. And I want to, as a former merchant, um, I can say this because it still exists. Be careful of your distribution because when you go in and you have your meeting with the buyer, you have your initial meetings with the buyer and the merchandising team, they're going to ask you what your distribution strategy is for a reason because they know who their customer is and what type of price points their customer is looking for and what she or he's going to buy and what she's not going to buy. So if you go into a, and you brought up um, a great example, a Macy's with a hundred dollar lipstick, chances are she's going to tell you, or he's going to tell you the price of that lipstick is, is too high for my customer. She won't, she won't um, buy a hundred dollar lipstick. You know, she's not a right. luxury customer. So understand that, understand your price points, make sure they work for you as well. Make sure I'm going to go back to, um, the number one thing where we talked about where do you want to go? 
make sure you do your homework on pricing as well, because you need to, you need to understand that there's margins and there's other costs affiliated with every retailer out there. It doesn't matter. So they're going to ask for, for uh, a margin that um, is a standard. Sometimes you can negotiate, but a lot of times you can't. Mm-hmm. They may ask you for uh, vendor funding uh, opportunities, whether it's promotions, GWPs, free shipping and handling. Keep all of that in mind. If, for instance, you're working with a video commerce channel like uh, QVC HSN, and you need someone to be the face of the brand, you're going to need, and it's not the founder or owner, although that's always the best, sometimes it doesn't work out, you need to add that expense in. So when you look at what it's going to cost you, keep in mind, it doesn't matter what retailer you're going to, there are costs affiliated with them. You need to look at your finances and figure that out so that at the end of the day, when you price things, that you know your price points, your suggested suggested retail, is also making you money. Correct, Michelle. Right, right. Yeah, uh, running all the financial numbers, and hopefully you've got yourself connected to somebody who is already in business with this com- that company and can get, tell you what they go through when they place a purchase order. And if not that, then you know take some basics. You know, people would be surprised when I tell them. FOB for department stores, every group of uh, retail is a different financial picture of how you do business with them. But it's a very uh, staid thing for department stores. They all want to look at at least 40% margin markup. So if you're selling them something for $10, they're expecting that you will offer to sell it to them, not the retail price of $10, but what, you know, it's going to cost the store to buy it from you that you're taking it at $6 from them that way. And they put it on the floor to sell it $10, your suggested retail price. That's where the pricing is that Donna and I are talking about. Be sure of where you want to price your product. Another thing besides 40% margin is that department stores do FOB, the store or point of shipping. So that means freight on board. Not that that matters, but the fact is department stores or generally that category of stores, the, the, um, the thing over the years that they've done is they pay for the freight. That's not true of all retailers. No, it's not anymore. You you have to really ask those questions. Who pays for freight? Who pays for me shipping the product to you? It's not uncommon though for stores to still be holding on to that other, you know, pattern of the fact that they did pay for freight and they had a 40% and they would look for a 40% margin. So, um, Always ask, because if you're not asking, you're ending up paying for it when you may not need to. You know, many others, including websites, they'll have different financial uh, policies, right, that you have to do, including uh, on online shopping in terms of TV shopping. Um, You know, they're all different. So you want to make sure that you get all that information. So when you walk out of there, if you happen to get an order, you will be sitting at home making sure that when you sell your products, you'll be able to be profitable. And the th- I want to bring up the third uh, critical uh, piece of this. And we've been, we've actually been talking about this um, throughout our conversation here is communication. Yeah. And I think it doesn't matter what type of business you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, communication is key. Um, asking the questions that, you know, Michelle, you just, 
you just explain, ask the questions. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. Don't be afraid that once um, you leave a meeting, you may have forgotten a question. Well, then call the buyer, email the buyer and ask the question. Make sure that that line of communication is open and it is one that continues. Um, daily communication, not to the point that you may be pestering the buyer because there's a fine line sometimes, right? right. right? Especially yeah. in those busy seasons like fourth quarter that's, that we're in right now. It really is important you take the time to make sure that communication, whether it's with you personally or someone on your team, is a constant with the merchandising team, especially if you've gotten a purchase order and you're ready to launch. Right. You want to partner with them. Again, it goes back to partnering with the retailer to make sure that you're optimizing your brand on that sales right. floor. Right. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so communication is extremely important. And Donna and I have often mentioned that. I wish they would get their, you know, messages and everything down to bullet points. You know, keep everything. Less is more, guys. And everything you do in all communication that you create, whether it's an email or uh, leaving a voice message, make sure that if you have to go that route, you know, uh, leave the message that you understand the buyer may be busy or the assistant. And thanks so much for your support. I'm here. If you need me, call me anytime. Give the points of information that you need to um, share with why you're calling to begin with um, and be very concise about how you do it so that you sound professional and on the ball. Very important to do all those things. Less is more. Well, um, and, and to your point too, that you understand the business. Yes. Um, I yeah. used to get phone, uh, phone messages from some new suppliers because they were new to the business. And, and I understood that they were nervous and wanted to get information, but they would be on the phone leaving a message for over six minutes, you know, just yeah, that's going too long, on and on and on. And I would be like, okay, I don't <laughs> think this too person's going to, yeah, this, this person's <laughs> not going to make it in our business. I mean, you'd be surprised at what you're revealing about yourself when you do things incorrectly and don't follow up to fix it. I think, I think short, concise, simple is really the key, whether it's a phone message, an email, a text message. I know some some people text. Make sure that your buyer agrees to that because some buyers don't. Um, but keep it short, concise, and meaningful, very laser-focused. Right. And stay in communication, especially about how your sales are going and if, you know, if you think it's good or not, you know, and if you live near the, near one of the main stores, go visit it as often as possible without being annoying and go and check that, you know, if you haven't gotten the sales from the buying office, check with the people at your counter, like how and, um, is there anything that you need? Be prepared and ready to retrain any new associates, sales associates that are being put in the floor area of your brand. If you have your own counter, make sure that you hire, obviously, the best that you can, the best people, and be part of the interview process of, you know, who's going to be selling your products at the counter. Uh, training is extremely important. So are special events and sampling of products. So those are things that if you can be prepared to say that you're ready to do those things, you'll probably have a fighting chance to be a brand that's on the selling floor that, you know, is doing well. And then also I want to point out that most retailers now have what's called a vendor portal. So when you do get that purchase order True. and you get 
um, assigned a, a code or however the retailer works to the vendor portal, use it. There's a yes. reason for it because usually it will lead you to other resources if you have issues, whether it's with accounting or uh, quality right. assurance or right. uh, the buying team, whatever that, whatever that may be. All of that information's in there, including your sales um, and including, you know, if there's returns, customer returns, all that information is in there. And I, I can't stress enough to make sure you use that vendor portal to why and there's a reason for it. it to watch how make, your business is going because everything is yep. done digitally now. Yeah. Yes. It's an incredible amount of information that you get where in the older days, uh, you couldn't get that information without a lot of patience. Right. So it was all handwritten. Right. I mean, we're now really aging get ourselves by saying that, but it was right. handwritten. Yeah. yeah. Now you can get it, you know, by just going into the portal like you do for even bills that you pay in your banking situation or whatever and see what the information is. And the more knowledgeable you are about that and stay in taking notes and so forth, the next meeting you have with the buyer, you'll be really much better prepared than the first time you met watching and observing about your business and how it peaked and how it dropped off and, you know, how it did in the event that you created, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, I don't think some people are prepared when they start making a product and going out as an entrepreneur. They're not prepared to understand that they are going to do a lot of uh, note taking and a lot of number crunching, uh, that you have to be comfortable with that and not to be intimidated by it. Uh, so it's important that you, recognize that and you know take a book out and make notes about your business as each week and month go pa go past to make sure that you are getting close to where the buyer plans you to be are you going to sell fifty thousand dollars worth of lipsticks in the season of spring or fall so we've hit the three critical pieces here that and obviously we've given you some more information on um distribution strategy and what you really need to think about as you put it together. And that's really understanding where you're going to launch your product or sell your product, what your community is going to look like. Mm -hmm. So remember to look at the customer, your competition, all those pieces mm -hmm. to fit where. The second is really for the vendor to understand how to be a partner with the retailer because you obviously want to understand their business as much as they want to understand yours. So work together to make it happen. And right. the third is communication. We talked about how critical it is and communication is key to any business. It does, communication is important because that's where the trust factor comes in. So right. as you work on that relationship with the retailer, you want to trust each other on the decisions that you make. Thanks again for joining us at Lipstick and Lunch, a podcast series dedicated to the business of beauty, fashion, and retail. We'd also like to give a shout out to Anchor. Thank you so much for allowing us the opportunity to podcast. See you soon.